have a seat. Amen. It's like the old days. Fifteen years ago, the only guy in the church that drew the short straw to lead singing was Jason Preston. Well, Zach and Sarah out of town today. Jason drew the short straw again. It's the curse of being a deacon around here. So he did a wonderful job today, just like he did years and years ago. Back then, though, he didn't have Hannah playing the piano for him as a fill-in. Uh, we just had an iPod. Uh, you missed the old days if you weren't here in the wild west of bluegrass. When we planted it and there was only two or three families, we'd set an iPod up here and play the music to that, and you either sang as fast or as slow as it went. didn't matter. Uh, it was a wonderful thing. It's good to see where we've grown to. It's good to have, I guess, a couple here visiting that know Zach and Sarah, or know Zach particularly, uh, back in the back with us. It's good to have you here with us. Sorry they're not here. Uh, But it's good to have you here with us this morning. Genesis 37 is where we will be this morning. Continuing in our series of walking with God. And this morning we begin six weeks off and on, interrupted by a few sub-series on Father's Day and our Independence Day service in July. But we'll look at six messages on the life of Joseph, walking with God, and we're going to look at Joseph. We've looked at Noah, Abraham, and Jacob so far. We come to Joseph. I guess I, I should say this this morning. Uh, Alec is sitting here with a smile on his face, but Audrey is beaming from ear to ear and gleaming from her finger, just like Abigail did just a couple weeks ago uh, with their new engagement rings. Uh, had a great wedding yesterday for Melanie and Dylan Engel. It's going to get hard to tell, calling Melanie, not Melanie Lindner anymore, but Melanie Engel when they get back. But uh, it is certainly a good time. Six babies or seven babies do over the next year or have been born in the, in, within a calendar year. And it looks like three weddings almost within another calendar year. So us old people in the church don't know what to do with ourselves anymore. It's just a youth-run church at this point. It's a youth movement afoot. That's a good thing. Genesis 37, we'll begin our reading this morning in verse number 5. We'll read down through verse 11. We'll pray and jump right into the preaching. The Bible says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren. And they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Hear, I pray you, this dream which I've dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about me and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Let's pause for a second and think critically. Reuben is probably in his early 30s or mid-30s, the oldest brother. Uh, if you were to look back in verse 2, as we will in just a moment, Joseph is 17 when he's saying these things. And by the birth order and the process of the children being born, it's likely that Reuben's in his 30s. He's saying in this group with the other brothers, 10 of them, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his father 
observed as saying. Father, I pray this morning that you will help us to see as we begin to study this life of Joseph. This man is a marvelous character. A story, a life filled with rich truth for us to glean. Help us to understand how he walked with you. And help us to see how we should walk with you as well. Bless us this morning. Me as I preach and the congregation as they hear. May the Spirit fill both of us so that your message is delivered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we come to Joseph, the key to understanding this man is really the word surrender. With Noah, it was the word grace. With Abraham, it was the word faith. And with Jacob, who became Israel, the word that we put as the baseline to understanding him was transformation. This word is surrender for this man's life. In his life, we will find that Joseph surrenders to everything that God was. What a concept. Everything that God was. Joseph says, I surrender and submit myself holy to that God. He understood the importance of God's divine presence, God's divine plan, God's divine power, amongst many other attributes of God that he came to know. The only way that Joseph survived the life that he was going to have to live was through full surrender to God, who first appeared to him in these two dreams in Genesis 37. As we examine this young man who grows into a mature man, who grows into a mighty man, we will examine six different settings or sermons in which we will find Joseph surrendering to God in some way. This morning we'll see it in his prophecy that is given to him. Next week we'll see it in the pit that he had to endure. Then we'll see him in Potiphar's house and in prison and in prominence. And finally, when we come to Genesis chapter 50, we will see what surrender to God looks like with a proper perspective in life. Joseph had the right perspective on how to live. How did he have that perspective? Because he surrendered to who God was. He allowed God to work in him. And allowed God to work through him. So this morning, we begin our study of the life of Joseph with Joseph and God's word. What we find in Genesis 37 is the importance that God's word, God's revelation to him played in his life. He surrendered to what God said. Oh, this morning, if you get nothing else from the message, get this as the take-home thought. You must surrender to the word of God. It's the only joyful way to live. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's only through the book. It's only through the Bible. It is only through God's word that you will live a successful life. We find that Joseph surrenders to the leading and to the purpose of God's prophetic dreams in his life. You know, in this world, there are two broad groups of people. There are those who believe the Bible to be absolutely true and those who don't. You say, well, I think there's variations of it. No, listen, you either take this book and believe it is wholly true, and if you don't believe it's wholly true, then you do not believe it's true at all. Well, that seems pretty dogmatic. Yes, it's called doctrine. Well, that seems pretty narrow-minded. Yes, that's the way of salvation. 
What we're going to find in the life of Joseph this morning is that he wholly trusted that God's word was absolute. He didn't know how it would make sense. He didn't know how it would play out. He didn't know what would come of it. He didn't even make it up. All he did was receive God's word and believe God's word. That's surrender. A lot of Christians today don't live in surrender to the Word of God. They live in surrender to their own will, to their own way, to their own work. And we'll look at all of the other surrenders like that in the life of Joseph in the weeks to come. But it doesn't do you any good if you don't first surrender to the Word of God. In Genesis 37, Joseph surrenders to God's Word. Joseph's prophetic dreams were the Word of God to him. He didn't have a recorded Bible like we do. Direct revelations is how God in his dispensation conveyed his message to the patriarchs. Abraham had dreams, visions, and visitations from Almighty God. His own father, Jacob, had experienced the same things Israel, his grandfather, had. And so we find that it is no different in the life of Joseph, this fourth patriarch that we study. This man trusted in the very word of God. Joseph's life begins to be told for us here in Genesis 37. It begins with him acting in accordance to the word of God. May I submit to you this morning, a life lived by God's word brings two realities in our notes that we will talk about today. The first reality that it brings to us is that God's word causes us to be holy. It causes us to be holy. Notice I didn't say it calls us to be holy. It does certainly do that. What I'm talking about is not what it can do. I'm saying in the life of Joseph what it did do. If you're going to walk with God, you're going to begin by walking with God in the word of God. You're going to trust what he says and do it. So I ask you this morning, what effect does God's word have in your life? Let me ask it maybe this way. If you lived by the Bible, what would be different in your life this morning? In Joseph's early life, we find several effects of the holiness that comes by doing God's word. The first effect is letter A. It informs us to be holy. It tells us we should be different. Look back in verse number 2 with me, if you will. We'll pick up in verse 1, but we'll read down through verse 2 so that we get the sense of it. The Bible says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their what? Evil report. And let me take a moment to talk to our teenagers. If you lived in a home like Joseph lived, how would you choose to live? None of them were good. We've looked at chapters in chapter 34 and chapter 38. We would find chapters of the Bible that show just how wicked these boys of Jacob were. Why were they so wicked? They were of the chosen line. Why were they so evil? And the answer is because their father did not live consistent Christianity or consistent faith in God, we might say, before their eyes. And so they ended up like they did. And yet in the midst of these boys, there's Joseph. 
A 17-year-old boy. Let me ask this. In the early hour, there were none. Shocking, since it's usually our prime timers in that group, though there was some young people there. How many 17-year-olds are in here this morning? One, two, a third one, a fourth one. Mom's making her raise her hand. Hallelujah. How many near 17-year-olds, meaning you're 18 or 16? How many near? Raise your hand as well. So we've got about nine or ten in here this morning, if we were to go around the whole room and including the early hour. Could you imagine young people in that group being the only person in your family truly and earnestly trying to do right? That's who we find here. This is where we are introduced to Joseph. And so we ask ourselves, how could he be different? How could he live holy? How could he do what was right? Where was he informed on what was good and righteous? And the answer is the only place is in God's word. The only place is when God reveals himself to us as to how his holiness looks and what it is like. Joseph knew in verse number two what was right from what was wrong. We must ask ourselves in verse two as well, who are these sons and brothers? Just what is the crowd that he was hanging out with? The Bible tells us it's the sons of Zilpah and Bilhah. These are the two handmaids of the two wives of of Jacob. Interestingly enough, one of them is the handmaid to the wife that he didn't even want. Can you imagine what those kids felt like in that house? Unwelcome, probably unwanted to a degree. Here's the boys, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Those are the four fellows that he's here hanging out with in verse number two. This is his crew, we might say. This is who he runs with. They were the sons of the handmaids. Jacob's blessing upon them gives us a little insight into the way in which these young men manifested themselves or what they were like. If we would, and we won't for time's sake this morning, if we would turn over to Genesis 49, we would see that Jacob begins to bless his sons. And in blessing his sons, he makes certain statements about their personalities, about the way in which they have lived their lives, the kind of people they were. By the way, what they were at the end of their life is what they were at this present time in their life as well. Here's what he says of Dan. He said, Dan, my boy, you're a cunning, biting serpent. I mean, that's certainly the kind of commendation I want from my dad. My dad's 78. If if God gives him another 20 or 30 years, and he's not sure he's going to get that, but if he does give it, if at the end of my dad's life, my dad looks at me and says, boy, I love you. You're a snake. What would you think? I think you would go, that's one of these boys. Naphtali. Naphtali, he is said in Genesis 49, is a hind, that is a deer or a wild game deer, that is leaping from hill to hill or mountaintop to mountaintop. He's just kind of carefree and loose. He doesn't matter where he goes. Gad was called a troop. And you say, well, I don't even know what that means. Shane did a wonderful job in his stewardship challenge this morning. It says in that passage that one of the three mighty men took on a marauding troop of Philistines in a field of lentils, field of beans, to protect it. In other words, the idea of a troop was not a good thing. They were marauding raiders that would pillage and take advantage of others. This is not a compliment to him. It is a critique of him. 
the final son, Asher, he says, you love the rich foods and the royal dainties. That's what he says of Asher. So Joseph finds himself in verse number two, night after night, day after day, with Dan the cunning, Naphtali the carefree, Gad the coward, and Asher the connoisseur of fine things in life. That's quite a crew. It's kind of messed up bunch. Some of you teenagers might be thinking, yeah, that sounds like the guys I hang out with at school. Yeah, it it takes all sorts. Yet we find that Joseph is the one who is set there by his father. Joseph doesn't happen his way there. He's set there by his father to come and tell his dad what the boys are like. The other boys, Levi and Simeon, have already ruined the family name and the testimony in Genesis chapter 34. These four brothers, now making up 60% of the 10 that are not Joseph, are just as rotten and just as ruinous to the old family name. Joseph is the only one that seems to operate within the information of what is right and what is wrong. He's the only one that cares. Joseph does as he's told in verse number two, and he comes back and reports the evil. That means at the word or request of his father, he was chosen to report on how they behaved themselves. Listen to that kind of teenage pressure for a 17-year-old. He didn't give in to the peer pressure. Even when no one around him wanted to do what's right, he chose not to engage in their sin, but rather report what was necessary to his father about his family. So I put in your notes underneath this point, this question, can you spot evil? No, pastor, that's why I come to this church. You preach long and you preach loud, but you will also tell me what is right and wrong. That's why I'm here Sunday after Sunday. Bless God, I want you to tell me. No, 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 no. The Bible says that Joseph surrendered himself to what God's word or what God's revelation said. He was able to spot evil. He was able to identify at 17 what was right and what was wrong. By the way, young people, don't worry. There's a lot of grown-ups in this room that have a hard time spotting evil. You know, I will say this. If I were to come to you and say, hey, listen... Today we live in a culture and we live in a society where we don't even know what a woman is and we don't know what a man is and we don't know what sexual purity is within the marriage. If I were to say that to you, all of us would say, hey, look, I know those things are wrong in culture. I can spot that. Good for you. Most obvious people that aren't Christians that just have basic ethics and morals can spot that as being evil. What I'm asking you is in your daily living, can you tell the difference between the little white lies and lies altogether? What's the difference between a lie and a little white lie? Nothing. That's right. Yeah, but, but you know, pastor, situationally, I just have to do this at my work. No, you don't. You see, God's word is what informs us of what is right and what is wrong and when it's right and when it's wrong. Joseph understood that. Joseph knew how to operate within that. Why? Because God's word causes us to be holy. Joseph was living in a crazy and corrupted family. He depended upon his character and upon the communication of God at this point in verse 2 through his father Jacob to know what is right and what is wrong. 
His father, Jacob, by this point, had learned a lot about God. He learned the wrong through his own experience and mistakes, and he learned, Jacob did, the right when God came and revealed himself to Jacob. It was through educating himself through the word of God that Jacob became Israel, obeyed God. And that's what he passed along to Joseph. He tried to pass it along to the other boys, but it didn't stick. It didn't take. Friends, holiness begins in knowing God. Today, the only way that we in our age can know God is from the testimony of godly people and from the direct revelation of God about himself in his holy book. Joseph was informed about what was holy so that he could report what was evil and wrong whenever he saw it. Next, letter B, we read that God's word causes us Or that God's word, I should say, inspires us to be holy. God's word causes us to be holy first in that it informs us. It informs us what holiness is, if you will. But it also inspires us to be holy. Joseph's dream was that he would lead the family. Every believer in God's word must believe both in the veracity and the authority of it. Not just the truthfulness, that's the veracity, but the power of it. The fact that it actually affects change in our life. That this which I used to do and now I've been exposed to is wrong, I will not do anymore because I recognize there's a better way to live. That's what this book does. By the way, the people of this world, mankind in their fallen state, they have no hope of that. It's only by surrendering to the word of God itself, to the Bible, day by day, moment by moment, choice by choice. It's only in surrender to God's word that we then can be inspired to live a joyful, contented, peaceful, happy, healthy, holy life. Joseph doesn't know how the things God said to him in verses 5 through 11 would come to be. He, He has no concept of that. All he knows is this is what God's told him. Sometimes as Christians, we do struggle with passages of Scripture and say, Well, how can that be? I can't say that. It might be hurtful. I can't believe that. It's against culture. The Word of God is true and every man is a liar. We may not always understand how the things of this book will come to be, but make no mistake, it's true. Joseph knew that. Joseph didn't know when they would come to be. I do not believe that Joseph sauntered in there in verse number five and said, all right, y'all bound down to me right now. I don't believe that's Joseph's spirit at all. But he knew that if God said it, God would do it. And so it settled it in his heart. He simply trusted that God said they would be. And that motivated, inspired him to live a life of leadership. A lot of believers try to take and make the Bible fit into their lives. Joseph, throughout his whole life, fit his life into the Word of God. So if I'm in a pit, I'll follow the Word of God. If I'm a slave on the way to Potiphar's house, I'll still serve God. If I've been wrongfully accused in this house, I will still honor God and His Word. If I end up in prison, I'm going to honor God and His Word. If I'm now the king or the king's helper, Pharaoh's helper, I'm going to honor God and His Word. And if my brothers come to me 40 years later looking for help, I'm still going to honor God and His Word. Do you live that way? Does it inspire you to live Just and holy and right? 
You see, the problem for us today is we don't see the Bible as a sense of inspiration. We see it as as a place of obstruction to us. Oh, the Bible doesn't let me do that. Oh, God help us if that's ever our spirit. This book allows us a life that can be lived that is truly and legitimately divine. But you have to choose to live it. You got to surrender to the book. Notice this morning, I've never said surrender to this church. You surrender to God and His Word in it alone. What did this do in the life of Joseph? At home, he was a leader. In Potiphar's house, he was a leader. In prison, he was a leader. In Pharaoh's court, he was a leader. Ultimately, in his revelation to his brothers and his father, some 40 years later, he, in fact, was a leader. He never changed God's word, nor did he ever doubt it. He simply allowed it to inspire and motivate his living. Do you? Well, you know, Sunday morning, I'm ready to whoop, take on hell with a water gun. Let's go get the devil. Are you the same way on Wednesday morning or Friday morning? What are your thoughts on a Tuesday afternoon when work has gone long and things are troublesome and nothing's working out for you? Do you still love and trust the God of this book? Joseph did. It informs us to be holy. It inspires us to be holy. But let her see, it isolates us within His holiness or within God's holiness. In other words, it puts us in a protective place. That's what the Word of God does. Oh, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard parents say to me, Pastor, you know, I just let my kids do that because I'm afraid, you know, they're going to get out of my bubble someday and they're just not going to know how the real real world works. You know what I say to those parents? This is your bubble. If I'm in my parents' home and they're living and operating by this book, it's safety. If I go out on my own and I'm on my own life and I'm living by this book, guess where I'm still at? In safety. Living by God's word is the only safe place for a Christian to live. It's the only thing we can surrender ourselves to. Surrendering ourselves to the opinions of man will leave you totally confused because they change day by day. It's interesting in the story here in Genesis 37, Joseph in verse 3 is with his brethren. Verses 2 and 3, I should say. After God's word and his dreams comes and he begins to share them with his brothers, we find in verse number 12 that Joseph is alone. His brothers, the Bible says, go off to feed the flock in Shechem. And his dad says to Joseph, who is now in isolation, he's by himself. His brothers want nothing to do with him. Why? Because he's living by the book. He's living by God's revelation. He's living according to the word of God that's come to him. They want nothing to do with him. Don't be surprised when your family and your friends and others in your life cut you out when you start walking according to the word of God. Living by and sharing God's word has that effect of both isolating and insulating us. We live in an age where absolute truth is rejected absolutely. It's always one of those great funny statements, isn't it? We live in a time when living morally, ethically, and equitably according to God's word is shunned. In our present day, everyone is aggrieved. It seems to be an oppression Olympics. Each subculture of society trying to prove that they are more aggrieved than the next. And it seems in our present day, 
Whoever is the most debauched and debased is the most aggrieved. They might be the most confused and the most pernicious, but they're not the most aggrieved. Friends, may I submit to you, in a world where mental infants are running it, to live by God's wisdom will mark you. It will isolate you. But it will also insulate you from their groupthink and their foolishness. Joseph was isolated because he told his family the truth from God. It wasn't that Joseph was going to take over his family by force. He's the youngest at this point. He was the youngest, the smallest, and likely the weakest in his family. Joseph's message, by the way, since we know the whole of the story, again, we're reading the story, and I've always reminded you in each of these, they didn't know the end. We do. But if we know the end, then we know at this point, all Joseph is, is you and I preaching salvation. He's saying to them, hey, there is hope if you will believe what I believe. It's no different than what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Joseph's message is a story of rescue, salvation, and deliverance. You say, well, I didn't read that in Genesis 37. No, but if you read the Genesis 50, you know that's exactly what the message was. The family certainly did not see it as Joseph did, and your family and friends may not see your gospel conversion the same way. The gospel is a message of deliverance that would... The world doesn't understand. We, like Joseph, should never shy away from proclaiming the truth of the gospel. It is God's message for us. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that what? Believeth. Do you know all this family in Joseph's day had to do was believe what he said? It never says, or no one ever believes, that they had to immediately start bowing down to him but they just had to believe what he said was from God and say, okay, we don't know how it'll work out, but that's what God said to you. That's what God has revealed. God's chosen this method, this mode to communicate to us in this day. By the way, in ours, it's this. I wish I had more than the Bible. You don't. This is what you got. Why don't you use what you have? He goes on and says, For therein, in the next verse, verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by what? Faith. I have often wondered about old Joseph. In the years that he spent in slavery, in Potiphar's house, and in prison, in the time that he was walking from Dothan's pit to Potiphar's bondage and servitude. I often wondered what went through his mind. Maybe I should have just shut up. Maybe he had thoughts in that time traveling there. I wonder if all of this is actually true. I wonder sometimes as he was in bondage and slavery, walking the some 140 miles from Dothan down to Egypt where he would be bought by Potiphar, if in chains he thought, if this is my condition and they're going to bow down to me, I wonder how bad it's going to get for my family. When we trust God's word, we have to trust it no matter the circumstance of our life. By the way, I believe the answer is given to us at the end of Joseph's life, what he actually thought through the process. 
Here's what the Bible says in Genesis 50 and verse 18. And his brethren went also and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Pause for a second. This is where Jacob has died and now everything rests upon Joseph. This is at the end. I mean, if he surrendered to God's word when he was a 17-year-old, what's he going to be like now when he's near 70 years old? Well, what's he going to be like now in his, his mid-60s, or perhaps, or, or late 50s? What's he going to be later in life? How's he going to treat those that treated him so poorly? Now's my revenge. Well, what does the Bible say? Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for, I, for am I in the place of God? What a wonderful perspective. Hey, listen, I've trusted God this long. (laughs) I've trusted God this far. I'm not going to stop trusting God's revelation to me now. He's already proven it true. So am I God? No, but I trust him. That's what he's saying in that question. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear you not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let me ask you a question. How do you treat those who are the enemies of the word of God? If God's word causes us to be holy, it informs and inspires us, and it isolates us, how do we treat those who hate God and hate his book? Joseph's our example, isn't he? Sometimes we want to say, oh man, that crowd right there, they hate God, well, they're going to get what's coming to them. Man, I can't wait till they get what's coming. I can't wait till a lightning bolt from heaven comes and strikes them down. Isn't that how we often think? How should we, who are trying to live holy, look at those who are not living holy, who do not love the God that we love? And the answer is, I will nourish you. I will speak kindly unto you. But Kyle, that is hard. Oh, listen, I get it. It is very hard. I have been dumbfounded by some of the vitriol and histrionics of people who are storming state capitals, screaming that we mutilate children. And I must tell you that there are times in my life, there are times in my own Christian walk when I wonder, man, I'd like to just crush them. And the Bible has this weird way. It may not be good preaching, but this is how it happens to me. It has a weird way of going. Oh, yes. But, but somebody's got to stand up to them. Let God stand up to them. Well, he's got to stand up through us. Yes, be kind. You don't have to agree with them. Kindness does not mean acquiescing to their request. But you don't need to scream at them. Certainly you don't need to curse them. Oh, heaven help us. There's some people that are out there that are like, I'm a Christian, bleepity blorp blop in their Twitter feed. (laughs) You're a Christian and you say that? I will nourish (laughs) and speak kindly unto you. Friends, we can draw our strength from God's word, but you can also run to it for protection. The psalmist says this in Psalm 46 and verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A thousand years after Joseph lived, Isaiah the prophet wrote this to Israel in Isaiah 41 verses 9 and 10. Thou whom I've taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, thou art my servant. I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. 
Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That is as true for Joseph as it was for Israel that Isaiah is writing to as it is for us this morning. The psalmist goes on in Psalm 32 and 7 says, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. You want holiness? Go to the refuge of God's word. Not politics, not your friends, not even your family. Go to God. Isolate and insulate yourself with the word of God and you will be at peace even in the most crippling of chaotic times. By the way, I am convinced of one of the great tools of the devil today is cable news. Can I give you a secret this morning, young and old? Consumers of progressive, liberal, conservative, true, right wing, whatever it is, cable news. They are telling you news that will motivate more viewership. Greater fealty and loyalty to them alone so that they might line their pockets with more money. If Christians would bury themselves in God's word, it's not just that the world will pass by, but we as believers would properly be removed from the manipulation that permeates our present world. And we would be able to think clearly on the matters that present themselves in this world. That's what Joseph did. God's word causes us to be holy. It informs, it inspires, and it isolates us. Next, in Joseph's life, we recognize that when it makes us holy, God's word causes us, number two, to be hated. Now, this is the one that most Christians do, right? I am just a martyr for Jesus. What can I say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Those are all right verses, but we take the faux martyrdom upon ourselves. The, the apostle says, but what and if ye suffer persecution? Happy are ye! That's the normal course of the Christian life. Because we are wanting to live different from the devil and his crowd and the system of this world and our own natural flesh. When we live different than them, they're going to hate us. Three times, if you were to read Genesis 37, it says his brothers hated him. And it uses the strongest Hebrew word for hate. Literally, they loathed every fiber of his being. As if that's not bad enough, they also envied him, it says. Let me say this. No one likes to be hated unless you're a psychopath. I don't think there's any psychopaths in here. I love being hated. The sad reality is that we will be hated for loving God, and that's what Joseph was. Joseph's brothers hated him because he, and not they, received God's word. The Bible tells us at the end of the verse, they hated him for his dreams, and what does it say? And for his words. The Apostle John says this in 1 John 3 and verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's the Christian admonition. But then in verse two, or verse 12, he says this, not as Cain who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Or why did he do that? Because his own works, Cain's own works, were evil. And his brother's righteous. So he concludes in verse 13, Marvel not, brethren, 
that the world hates you. I often say this to my boys, buckle up, buttercup, it's going to get hard. It's just life. It's just the way it is as a Christian. Jesus is the one that informed John on this. He said this in John 15 and verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would what? Love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world what? Hateth you. The hatred for you is not for you personally, but that you have personally chosen to follow God. The holiness that God's word produces in us is the reason for the hatred of fallen man for us. Why so? The hatred is due to three things. Letter A, it is due to the Bible or God's words, personal delivery. Yes, Peter says that no scripture is of any private interpretation. But I would suggest to you, the word of God is personally yours. And it is personally delivered to you. If you are only getting joy and satisfaction from the word of God in this one hour, you are missing out. Majorly missing out. I love the story that Shane selected this morning. It tells us of the three mighty men of David. It is a wonderful truth of what we can be to Jesus Christ. Holy sacrificing ourselves for any of his commands. And we know that when we offer it back to him, he pours it out as a drink offering of our expense to him. What he joys in us giving ourselves for him as he gave himself for us. For Joseph, his dream was the sure word of God. Those around him who do not receive or believe wholly in the God of heaven, the Bible tells us, envied Joseph for believing the absolute truth God had given to him. You will be hated for the same thing. We should not then be shocked that we are persecuted and mocked for having faith in God's word. I can't believe you believe that book. Buddy, if you don't believe this book, what are you believing in? My own opinion. Man, that's not worth a nickel. The Bible is the only source of special revelation of God's purpose, God's person, and God's plan. And it cannot be understood by the natural man. Here's how Paul addressed this idea of worldly and our own opinion and wisdom versus the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 2. Beginning in verse 6, he says, Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Paul is addressing his own personal ministry and his own preaching ministry. And he's saying to the carnal Corinthians, he said, Hey, wake up! We are speaking wisdom if you understand wisdom. Yet not the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world that come to naught or nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory or for our goodness and benefit, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, Paul says, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them to us by his spirit. That's exactly what he did with Joseph. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? In other words, how can we know the mind of God with our own mind? We're not God. 
Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, or perpetually ongoing teaches to us. Comparing what? Spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man? Receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual, this is Joseph. This is you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. This is you as you surrender to the Word of God. You can discern, judge all things. Yet you yourself, living by the Word of God, will be judged of no man, he said. Why? Because you'll be discerning. You'll be holy. That's why we're hated. We're different. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we, we, my friends, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. Friend, if you cannot dig into your Bible and find hope and help, joy and satisfaction, if you cannot open this book, whether to a psalm or to a proverb or to a prophecy or to a principle of the New Testament, if you cannot open this book and draw from it sources of life and encouragement, may I say to you, beg God for that help. Because if you name the name of Christ, the world expects you to know this book. They already hate you because you say you love it. What a foolish Christian it is to not even then engage in the Bible. To not dig into it day by day. Secondly, we are hated due to the Bible's powerful declaration. A lot of people in the world are fine with you having your truth, air quotes. But buddy, you better not share your truth with them and you better not make it an objective truth. Worse, it better not change their world. May I submit to you, God's word is powerful. What Joseph told his brothers, guess what? It changed their world, didn't it? I mean, everything about life changed. Wait, we're bowing down to you. I'm Reuben. I'm the oldest. I got the birthright. I know how important that is. Eh. This is what God said. This is how it's going to play out. I don't know any more than that. It declares, God's word does, that we are sinners in the New Testament and that Jesus is our only hope of a Savior. Joseph declared that the other 11 brothers would fall, 10 at the time that he's speaking, and even his mom and his dad would fall. Their only hope in that day would be to turn to Joseph. They would have to obey and listen to him. Again, we have the advantage of knowing the whole story. But in the immediate declaration of God's revelation, none of the family was having any of it. Tell me I'm a sinner. Who do you think you are? God's word says it. I don't believe you. You don't have to believe me. Believe God's word. What he's saying to them is, you're going to need to be rescued, and I'm going to do the rescuing, and you're going to owe it to me. That's what God's word said. Friends, we're the same light. Salvation is of the Lord. We who know Christ are the only ones who have the answers to life. And what comes after this one? Thus Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and verse 14, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Joseph understood he was to let his light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is what surrendering to God's word does. It causes us to be holy, and it causes those who do not love God to hate us. Because they hate the power in the declaration of the Word of God. Finally, it's hated, and we are hated, due to its purposeful direction. 
The brothers had a plan for Joseph. Get rid of him. God had a different plan. Joseph's life probably did not follow the trajectory that he thought it would at 17. Can you imagine at 17 thinking, ah, they're going to obey me. This will be glorious. I don't think Joseph had that thought, by the way. I thought he was thinking, I don't know how that works out, but this is what God said. And then he finds himself in a pit. This will be glorious. Wait, (laughs) I'm in a pit. How is this going to be glorious? I'm in prison. How is this going to be glorious? They've all forgotten about me. I helped that butcher and I helped that baker and nobody cared. Not even the candlestick maker. For you nursery rhymers out there. Joseph is an example of following God's word faithfully. Allows us to overcome hatred. It allows us to overcome misuse and lies. It allows us to overcome being forgotten. God, speaking through Isaiah, said it most clearly about what he does by giving us his word and then we live by that word. Here's what he said in Isaiah 55. It's a passage we know. For my thoughts, in verse 8, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. Now, stop for a second. There's a whole lot of the ways of God and the plans of God that Joseph didn't understand along the route of his life. But by being surrendered to his, God's word, he recognized, even though he didn't understand that Isaiah would write this, that his life was to be spent for God. That's what God's word reveals to us. His life was to be the water that comes down. His life was to be the ground that the soil or that the seed would grow in. His life was to bring forth that bud. And what God says is that what I say will happen. It will be so. Notice what he says. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish. There's purpose. The word of God that he revealed to Joseph at 17 was accomplished 40 years later when his brothers came to him. And it was as true every day in those four decades as it was on the day that it actually happened. It shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in that thing, in the particular thing whereinto I, God, sent it. God sent his word to Joseph, and for Joseph it was but to obey and share it with others. That word certainly did not return void in the life of Joseph. It accomplished its purpose. May I say to you, purpose from the word of God gives you and I direction on how we ought to live. Boy, it's joyful. Contentment. I can tell you, for the years that I lived far from God, and I did for many years in my life, but for those years there was nothing but heartache and headache. But when I chose to come back and start living according to the Word of God, it caused me to be holy, which caused me in the eyes of many of my friends of that time to be hated. Oh, Kyle, you're not the same guy I used to think you were. No, I'm not. Please forgive me for the way that I lived. Some of you may have to because you're going to surrender to the word of God again this morning. Go out and do the same thing this week. Hey, listen, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. The Bible says this and I've not been doing it. I'm going to start living according to the word of God. I'm going to surrender just like Joseph. In closing, Joseph and his prophecy set the stage for the rest of his life. 
Obeying God's word set in motion a holiness within himself that would lead others around him, yes, to hating him, but ultimately to him helping them. That's what living by the book will do for you. Father, help us, I pray, as we close our thoughts.